to share with you some thoughts concerning thorns in the flesh. Thorns in the flesh. And we find this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The epistle to 2 Corinthians is a wonderful text as it displays another side of the Apostle Paul that we don't often get. Um, Many of us have a preconceived idea of the Apostle Paul. We highlight some of his phrases that mean uh, very important words to us, but sometimes we may find overbearing. I listened to somebody yesterday um, say something to the effect that, you know, we, we believe in God, but we don't call him Father. I said, it's okay. In the Old Testament, the Bible refers to him as our Heavenly Father, our, our Father. Uh, he's a Father. It's okay. We live in a day of gender, excuse me, gender neutrality. Uh, we want to look the other way. Uh, we want to uh, please our fellow man in, in the pursuits of, uh, his, of this uh, gender neutrality of some sort. But we recognize the God of all creation, that he makes male and female, that he himself is the father uh, of all creation, that he gives to his children such things as they have need of. He provides for his people. And so we're not ashamed to, of the truth of God this morning and declare unto you the beauty of God's creation as we think about uh, these various items and these themes. But Paul was a man who was very doctrinally based. Uh, the first letter, of course, he came out swinging and uh, rebuking and uh, instructing and making sure that the young Corinthian church, which he was very favorably by God to constitute there, you remember when he was in Corinth for a period of 18 months establishing a church, So he had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that church. And he was very concerned about that church. He wanted to make sure that church was guided properly. So amid all the problems that the Corinthian church had, uh, he felt a particular need to it. And yet in the Corinthian second letter, uh, we see a tenderness of Paul, which we haven't seen before. In fact, it rivals no other book in which he wrote, uh, except maybe the book of Philemon. And there we can see the tender heart of a runaway slave. But in this particular book, we find some natural tendency of the Apostle Paul to share and bear himself before others. You know, he was a fool, he said in one place, for Christ's sake. In other words, he was willing to stand before the people of God and lay bare his heart. You know, he didn't hide anything. He revealed everything. And sometimes a preacher or a teacher of the gospel has a tendency to do that. Uh, Be not many teachers, uh, the scripture warns, uh, men. Don't take this thing up uh, unless God calls you to it. Because in many ways we offend all. And uh, we also play the fool in many ways by bearing our hearts. Such is the case we have before us. The Apostle Paul uh, speaks of a thorn in the flesh. What is this thorn? Now, all men in general know, know something about trouble. You know, as man is born into this world, he's born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's just a natural tendency that we all know 
all too well the difficulties and the thorns in life. And so uh, from a general standpoint, all of us can identify with thorns. Um, uh, Brother uh, uh, Daniel had mentioned that uh, maybe the, uh, the petals that were all over the floor this morning could somehow work its way into the sermon. I don't know. You know, when they had a great start yesterday, a wonderful marriage. Brother Kate, excuse me, Brother Michael and Sister Katie, I hear it was a beautiful wedding. Even Frank showed up, I heard. Had a patch on his side, something close to uh, his heart. What was that patch? Does anybody know? Anyway, um, he, bore, he bore the rings, believe it or not. So with a little bit of help and guidance and direction, he made his way so Brother Bloy could have the rings to share with that young couple. And so it's really not a timely thing, if you will, to talk about thorns so closely to a wonderful celebration like marriage, a new covenant relationship. And yet, in reality, all of us know that maybe it's not a bad idea. You know, if you look at the petal, the rose petal, how beautiful it is. You've heard the phrase that uh, life is no bowl of cherries. Life is no bed of roses. But maybe we ought to rethink that. Because if you look close to the roses, you see underneath, at least we do, because we've got experience that there are thorns. And thorns are little things that can prick and they hurt. Just a wee little thing. And so it could be that we can rephrase that life is certainly a bed of flowers. But we view it, the Christian views it from a distance because we're careful. Experience teaches us to be careful. We just don't dive right into it. We don't quickly assert ourselves in thinking this life is so full of beauty without realizing that many thorns come by us along the way. Now the Apostle Paul will talk to us a little bit about these various thorns. And before we do so, it's important that we note that they, serve, they do serve a purpose. They serve a purpose. And uh, we find out in this epistle um, something about thorns. What are thorns? What do you think they might be in our life? Uh, maybe there's a reason why God gives us thorns in our lives so that we can better uh, uh, be knowledgeable and experienced and in truth. The Apostle Paul had an experience here, and I believe it's very uh, suitable for the occasion. He speaks in the third person. In other words, he speaks about himself. He's not speaking to anybody in particular. He's not speaking to others. He's speaking about himself. I find it very ironic when he speaks about this glorious revelation that he had of being called up into the third heaven that he was very humble about it. I don't think he would have ever mentioned it had it not been for a particular purpose or reason in his life to do so. Many people talk about near-death experiences. They kind of pride themselves in the effect of it. And I remember a story not long ago. Well, actually, I was in Texas. Somebody asked me, did I ever hear about Alex Malarkey? Crazy last name. Maybe it rings true to eventually what would happen. Well, as a young child, he said he was in a bus accident when he was six years old. And as a result, he died and went to heaven. And when he was in heaven, he was told all kinds of things that he didn't know on earth. But he came back. God sent him back to this earth to write a book about it with his father's help. And I believe the book sold over a million copies. And anyway, when I was in Texas, some old Baptist came up to me and, have you heard about this? I said, no, I haven't heard about it. And so before long, I found a book in my mailbox. He sent me. This young man wrote about his experience, a boy who came back from heaven. Well, what we have here 
is the Apostle Paul who had come back from heaven. Now his experience and this young child's experience are two different things. You see, after a few years, I should say, I don't know, less than a dozen years, he revealed that it was all a lie. It was make-believe. And he said he did it to gain attention for himself after selling one million copies. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul didn't do that. He speaks in the third person. He wants to distance himself from this revelation or this mysterious catch, catching up into the third heaven. So he didn't glory in the things that he might have a right to glory in. We can see that in the text. He said, I forbear. In other words, I use great restraint in the ministry. He could have paraded himself among the people of Corinth, see what I experienced, and set him aside, in a sense, on a pedestal that maybe people would adore. But what would happen if that were the case? Why, he would receive the glory and the honor. He would take away the glory that was due the Lord, and he would attribute that glory to himself. Much of the apostles had to deal with certifying their calling. And the Apostle Paul was no different. There were those among the Corinthian church that paraded themselves around as being the chiefest apostle. And they gloried in appearances. They gloried in their elocution. They gloried in their personage. They gloried in their ability to communicate. Paul wrote back and said, You know what I determined among you? Nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he wanted to hear was the essence of the work of God. He wanted to hear the gospel of God's redeeming grace. He didn't want to be highlighted and set aside such as these people were. He said in the first verse, it's not expedient for me doubtless to glory. In other words, it is not necessary for me to be honored among men. Not at all. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so he says in the same sentence, although it's not necessary, and yet it is for your own sakes to know something, that he knew a man in Christ. Notice what he says, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. Now he says that twice. And he's saying basically that he had this miraculous experience that he couldn't quite put his finger on. He knew something intuitively about it, that he was in the very presence of God. He called it the paradise of God. But yet, as so mysterious it is, he could not find the words to convey what he experienced. He didn't come back like that little boy and have a tell-all. In fact, he said it was unlawful. He said, notice this. He was called up into paradise, verse 4, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And that word lawful means that it was unspeakable, that it was impossible to convey in words what he experienced. That tells us a little bit, doesn't it, as we think about the glory world and how wonderful it must be. God is reserved the very best yet to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians believe in heaven. 
They they believe in a place that is uncompared to our experience in this time world. In this time world, we live in a world that, as I mentioned, is full of trouble. Uh, In this time world, we have our problems. I said before that we live in the day of his humiliation. We live in the day of his poverty, if you will. Jesus, yes, it is true. He finished the work. From before the foundation of the world, he came in the likeness of man. He accomplished salvation, and he rose from the dead. He sat down at all at the right hand of all majesty, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ and his word still take second seat today. In other words, there's no lobbyist for the truth in the halls of Congress bearing his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not king of kings and lord of lords in the minds of natural man. The world over yet still refuses him. If he walked in this sin-cursed earth today, they would still hunt him down and crucify him. They will not come unto him that they might have life. The Lord Jesus Christ, his poverty is ours today to walk. Now... um, That's just a a fact of life. He said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. Now, the Christian bears his mark today. We bear the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor his word. We walk as he walks, circumspectly. What's that word mean? Very carefully. Every step of the way, we walk carefully as we follow the Lord as he walked in this world. We uh, We don't highlight uh, ourselves, we highlight Him. We're crucified with Christ. It's not me, but the faith in me, right? Nobody here, you know, is um, above anyone else. The Apostle Paul, he was considered by himself nothing. That's the way he looked. He said in verse 11, though I be nothing. Quite contrary to what we might make him out to be. The Apostle Paul, with all his weighty words and doctrinal themes, Yet he considered himself nothing. His speech, contemptible, rude in appearance, weak and abased in actual appearance. And yet he was a man of God. He preached the gospel of God. He had the gospel of the Son of God. He had a particular gift that he could preach. Great power when he preached. People received remarkable assurance of faith. When he preached, he had a remarkable gift to tie together the loose ends of the heart. They find it very difficult to believe. And so here we find oneself who, Paul, who lifted up to the third heaven. And he said, of such a one will I glory. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to glory about it, yet I myself, I will not glory. And so he's he's distancing himself. He doesn't want any praise. He doesn't want any honor. He's not taking a collection in his name. He's not asking all his hearers to pull out the visa card, make a donation in my name for the cause of Christ. That's not what he's doing, is it? That's what we do. That's what mankind does, doesn't it? They sell and they peddle Jesus. Watch it. Be careful. Don't get sucked into that kind of stuff. That's garbage. That's not out of heaven. It's out of hell. Be careful. The Word of God owes no... The Word of God is unbroken. The Word of God is true. The Word of God doesn't need your help. Somebody has a remarkable uh, uh, a revelation. I've come to the end of my days. I've got, all the, I've got a pot of gold. I'm going to help God along. No, God doesn't need your help. 
I've met many people who thought they're ready to help God. No, I will not glory except, he said, in mine infirmities. Infirmities. You know, when we think about the difficulties and our troubles, we're not speaking about our sin. When we think about, well, what is a thorn? He said, I get this thorn in the flesh. What are thorns? What's the purpose of thorns? How can we identify them? And the way I see it, that Paul received this thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. He was raptured to the third heaven. He might think, well, he's got a bigger hat size. Might think of himself as the big head. Might get proud. Might get arrogant. God gave him something to humble him. Pride is a nasty thing. God won't use pride. He resists the pride. God will never use a man full of pride. Never use a woman full of pride. He'll humble you. If he's going to use you, be prepared. When you pray to God, use me in your service. Be prepared. Trials come. Afflictions come. Temptations come. And they bring you to the point where you recognize your need of the Lord. Sometimes we get excited about who we are and we think we can do God's service. You know, we're in a position to help God. But that's no position at all. See, there's a purpose in our thorns. There's a purpose in the reality of our troubles. And it's so that we don't get a big head. It's very simple to understand that. He said, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear. Now I keep back. Now I restrain myself. And I think for the Apostle Paul, that was very difficult. I think he was a proud man. I think he was intensely emotional when it came to the truth of God. I don't think he held back. I think he was ready to take it to him. I think that's the kind of man he was. He was ferocious. He was a lion. And yet God made him a lamb. He humbled him so he could be used in the service of God. God won't use a man who thinks himself high above anybody else. He's going to bring a man down. Pride will destroy a person. And a proud person is a person that's hard to convey the truth of God. God resists the proud. His friendship is to the contrite and the humble in spirit. He said, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. He likens himself to any ordinary man. He took the back seat. He didn't come into the assembly hall and wanted to be sat down so that everybody could see him. He said, you see me like everybody else. And when we consider what he had, it may be that there was a certain appearance to him that caught our eye, that would make us reach out in some way of pity. Some insults would be leveled his way. Some would... Uh, step back to observe something about him that it was apparent to all. He said in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, lest I should be set upon a pedestal through who I claim to be, God, notice this, gave him a gift. A gift. Notice what he says. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now that is something to make note of because it doesn't say it was a thorn in the spirit. 
So whatever that thorn was, it wasn't piercing enough to drive him to the point where he could not, would not serve God. Now, it may be that despair and despondency and self-pity are akin to affirmities, that they're not far off. You know, we got a problem in our life. we got a flat tire. Uh, sometimes it shakes our spirit. You know, where is God? What happened? You know, we got this immediate reaction. So they're, they're cousins to one another. But a thorn in and of itself, in the flesh, as it sticks you, does not prevent you from serving God. Always remember that. It can lead to that if we're not careful. In fact, many Christians today are lighthearted. They're not grounded in the word of truth. Uh, their faith hasn't been tested. They've avoided it. They seek a life that is materialistically happy. And they want to be content. They want to be secure, satisfied. And so they avoid certain things. And when trouble does come, they are not rooted and grounded. And as a result, turn their back against God and can't figure out why things happen the way they do. This is elementary Christianity 101. This is not the hierarchy of a level of faith that you've achieved. No, these are the basics. When you turn against God and you're frustrated and you, you, you raise your hand up against God because of things you don't like in your life, this is, an element, this is a sign of a weakness. It's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weak faith. And so we encourage those who have weak faith to exercise faith that it might be stronger and so when the winds come and shake the foundations of your home, you won't be so easily removed from your pedestal, from your high perch. You know, we come to you this morning without preaching from so, no ivory tower. Paul the Apostle, he came to the Lord's people. He was in no way somebody who stood above the rest of them. No ma'am, no sir. He was one of the rest. He was in with them. He was together. He understood why, because he had a thorn in the flesh and it humbled him. It brought him low. And that thorn is a, is a point, isn't it? Sometimes they come with poison in them. I've heard of thorns pricking people, you know, and brushing it off as nothing, but sooner or later developing a, developing a big sore underneath the skin. This poison would have a reaction and it would be a problem. In some cases, it could leave a scar. In some cases, actually end up in the hospital because of the, uh, the trouble that it would cause. Just a little thing. We might brush off as nothing, and yet it was something that bothered him. Something that bothered him. So it had something to do, in verse um, 10, notice what he says, I take pleasure in affirmance. So he's giving us a key to understanding what this thorn was. He said, I took pleasure in affirmities. Because he was humbled, he didn't, find himself exalted, thinking himself better than everybody else. And he said to himself, and he says to us, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now, there's a reason for that, and we're going to find that out in this text. But he's cluing something here in terms of defining what that thorn is. It's an infirmity of the flesh, not of the spirit. Remember what I said. It's interesting that uh, some of the scriptures that we heard read today, here's, the, here's David. David, Where's, what's going on? He said, I'm crying from the end of the earth. He's overwhelmed. His heart is overwhelmed. He said, in that state, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's when he was overwhelmed, you see. And when Paul the apostle understands it's when he's pricked by this thorn 
that he's humble, that he recognizes that God is his refuge. Therefore, he took pleasure in the infirmities because he knew, he knew God's hand was behind it, you see. It's as if God's hand reaching out of heaven and with his forefinger put some pressure right on the Apostle Paul, right where he needed it, just to keep him humble. You ever had that pressure in your life? You felt the fingerprint of God pressing against you, some more than others, as he teaches us to the point where we now take pleasure in those things. Because why? Because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. And so, infirmities, dealing with the flesh, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses. All these things have a reflection of something outward, something external, pressing on you. Now, as I said, that it may affect you in your service of God if you're not grounded. But if you're grounded, you will shake them off and you will continue. That's the way I see the Apostle Paul. Self-pity is something that is derived as a derivative from human nature. Guilt. Somebody says, well, he's guilty. That means he's a child of God. No, no. Human nature is guilty by its own natural tendencies. God doesn't need to help you to feel guilty. Now, closely aligned to those kind of feelings are things like self-pity. God will never use a man mired in the clay. That's what David said in Psalms 40. He brought him up out of what? Out of the pit of horrible, he said, a horrible pit, a miry clay. Now, you try walking with your shoes filled with mud. It's an annoying thing, isn't it? Not only you leave a trail and you get mom's carpet all dirty, but you can't hardly move. It keeps you down. And so it is with despair and self-pity. These things are not good. And I've mentioned that to people before, and they, they don't quite understand what I'm saying when I talk about this particular weakness, because they read that God's strength is made perfect in weakness, but that's not the weakness that's properly applied. That kind of weakness, God will never use you. Why, you can't even get out of bed with that kind of weakness. You won't even come to church. That's a weakness of self-pity that God will never bless you with. He brings you out. And what happens when he did take David out of the Maori clay? What did he do? He established his goings. You see, you can move. You can move and you can flow in the kingdom of God under the banner of his love, even though you have an infirmity, even though you have necessities, even though you bear reproaches and all these things of which he mentions. Now, this thorn in the flesh, some have said that it must be his eyesight. I've heard many stories. Some people say that, uh, that he had a problem with his eyesight. But, you know, he doesn't go into it. He didn't draw attention to himself or his particular problem. And all of us, maybe this conveys something that we should take a lesson in. You know, sometimes we're pricked and we have a thorn in the flesh and we want to tell all. We know we live in a day of Facebook and we want to share everybody uh, our problems. But you know, the, the apostle took uh, his problem and he, he veiled it under the secrecy of his own personal image. He just veiled it. He didn't reveal it. He didn't share it. It was a thorn, nevertheless, but he didn't make a big deal about it. In fact, uh, the next book in the fourth chapter, 
he sheds a little bit of light on this reasoning behind this thorn. He said, you know how through infirmity of the flesh. Notice what he says. He didn't say infirmity of the spirit. He said, I serve God in another place with my spirit. He said, but this infirmity is affecting my flesh. I preach the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. This thorn in the flesh was something that was given to him. And it was something that was apparent to others. He said to the Galatian church, you did not reject me because of this obvious insult in my flesh, you see. Now, we know it was not something he was born with because it was given to him after having spent, uh, after that experience some 14 years ago. And so whatever it was, it was something that was given to him. And God may give you something to keep you humble after having been brought to his precious uh, house and after having been uh, blessed by the revelation of the truth of the gospel. Sometimes God will deal with you. You might be a hard-coursed individual, blessed nevertheless by God's Spirit, and God has a particular design for you in His life to be of service to others, but you must first learn a few things. And He's going to take you through the wilderness journeys of life. And He's going to make you uh, uh, deprived of certain things that you otherwise wish that you had. And then He says in this, in the next verse, in this particular, um, after having said... um, You received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Verse 14 of the fourth chapter of Galatians. And then he says this. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So who knows? Maybe he had a particular aspect in physical in nature, which everybody noticed dealt with his eyes. That's pure conjecture. So we don't have to worry about guesswork here at all. But then notice he says something to this effect in the 7th verse, our text in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says, the messenger of Satan, the messenger of Satan. He had this thorn in the flesh, and he calls it now the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I've heard all kinds of explanations of what this thorn was, one by a popular radio preacher. He said, basically... This thorn was Satan himself. Now, this is a messenger of Satan. This is one of his errand boys. This is one of his demons that buffeted him in the pursuit of his service, Paul's service to God. So here, what we have here is this, and this is my explanation of it. God gave him a gift of an infirmity that affected him, that humbled him. But there's Satan's messengers that are willing to take that and buff it. In other words, like a punching bag. And constantly insult, throw reproaches his way, you see. Satan will always do that. You might live an unhappy life for one reason or another. You consider it unhappy. And there's Satan. You think he's not cognizant of your problems? Actually, the Bible says that Satan was the wisest of all. You know, prior to his fall from heaven, Lucifer was the wisest of all creatures created by God. But he sinned and rebelled against God, did he not? 
He was proud against God. He wanted to be God. And he still continues in this fashion today. But the point I raised from that text there back in the Old Testament is that he's pretty sharp. And so Paul would say in one place, we are not ignorant of Satan's cunning devices. That's in the, the second chapter. We're not ignorant of his devices, devices. And in the previous chapter, he speaks about Satan himself transformed into an angel of light so that he can deceive the Lord's people. And so he's sharp. Don't underestimate the power of the evil one in trying to remove from you uh, the spiritual road, uh, not, not roadblocks, but the spiritual building blocks of serving God in spite of your uh, necessities and in spite of the problems that you may face. He's well aware of it. And he may use those particular problems in your life and exasperate them, may insult you, and may try to bring you down further so that you will be no good to yourself, you're no good to God, and you're no good to your brothers and sisters. And so there's a multiple purpose of this idea of thorns in the apostle's life. It had immediate effect of preventing him from having a big head. It was also had a, an effect of keeping him humble and honoring God. He exalted and glorified God, not himself. And it also gave him the ability to minister to others. The very first chapter, uh, stand, uh, this, this stands out quite clearly uh, in the uh, second epistle. Paul couldn't be no good to others without this thorn in the flesh. Notice what he says in verse 6. He said, For whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. This is what I mean by the tenderness, the tenderness of the Apostle Paul's heart. That what he experienced, he desired to help others with. Uh, in no way, shape, or form did he seek uh, to um, honor himself in this way. He said, for the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our consolation also abounded by Christ. He would write to these Corinthians and speak about this idea of, good, of the grace of God and how that you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. And so we live in the day of his humiliation, and for good reason. We live in the day of his poverty. We gladly take on the infirmities that God designs in our lives so that we can be a bright light to others. We can be a, a careful comfort and concern for others in their misery. And so we see that threefold, multiple purpose in our life. And the carefulness that we apply this is important because we also notice the multiple distractions that we have. Uh, we have the self-pity, the pride. And let me mention one more, and that is our situation. We always want a perfect situation, don't we? Uh, the world is combating us with these images of what a perfect situation is. And it's kind of ironic that it's always something toward the end of our lives. You know, retirement, the nest egg, you know, that we've provided. And it's a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful blessing that we in this life have that opportunity. And I 
encourage everyone to seek those things that are afforded you in life. And let me say this. It's very important. I don't want to distract you from this. John prayed that your soul would be not only prosperous spiritually, but that you, your body, your person, your life would prosper in health, happiness. You know, these are good things. God gives us all good things richly to enjoy. You know, the Christians, they're not, you know, we're not beating you up this morning. There's, there's no desire this morning to, to leave you hanging. We like to preach not only the disease, but also the cure. Not only the reasons why that bring us down, like the infirmities, but also the joy and the peace that we have through grace. Because that's where the apostle wants you to be elevated to. Not in yourself. Not in your, he doesn't want you to go to the, uh, um, you know, the local men's store and buy a new hat for your big head. He wants you to be suited by God's sovereign grace. Notice what he says. He says, in this petition that he's talking to the Lord about, he said, at first, the immediate effect would drive him to his knees. Wasn't that your case? You know, when some hardship came your way? Reminded you of your earthiness? And you were brought to your knees and you cried out to the Lord and you asked Him, Lord, remove this. Remove this thing. I think that's a tendency of natural man. I think it's fair to say that we all prayed that same prayer. Lord, you deliver me from this problem and I'm going to be a better saint in your kingdom. I'm going to be a better preacher. I'm going to be a better student of the Bible. I mean, I'm going to help my neighbor. I'm going to love him as myself. If you just remove this thing from my life, I'm going to be a happy camper. Well, we've all prayed that. And we've all had the answer, haven't we? God answers prayers, doesn't he, according to his will. There's not a prayer that he hears that he does not answer. Now, it may not be suited to our particular frame, but he answers it. And here's the answer that God the Father gave the Apostle Paul. He said, my grace, my grace sufficient. Here the Apostle Paul prayed three times. And I gather from this, as he recalls the experience, the length of time, you know, this is not something new. The people of other churches recognize this problem. I perceive that this is that these three times that he's asking the Lord didn't happen all in one setting. You know, in one night. I think maybe over a length of time, during the course of his lifetime, he prayed and he did so earnestly as he poured out his heart unto the Lord. And he asked the Lord... As he recalls in his memory, I've prayed three times. Now, let's face it. You might think along with me that the Apostle Paul was due an answer to accommodate his need. Wouldn't you? He was called up to the third heaven. You're talking about revelations. I got one to tell you, the Apostle Paul said. I mean, he was a man chosen of God. The Apostle learned something himself in particular when God revealed to himself, Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He experienced some things you and I can only dream about. We might think he had a certain place with God to get exactly what he wanted. And we feel that way. I know sometimes Christians have a hard time identifying with suffering. You know, we're chosen of God from before the foundation of the world. We got a Bible. We're believers. Now, how is it that I can suffer like everybody else? 
It doesn't make sense. And yet the Bible teaches us that our faith is tried through the furnace of affliction. You see, we suffer like everybody else, but the benefit to us is that we learn things spiritually speaking. And God tries our faith. What would it be if you made something, you designed something, you created something and never put it to the test? You built a car. I don't know, you, you built a boat. Well, it's no good unless you put it in the water and see if it works. You know, you designed a plane, you built it, it's beautiful. Let's see if it works, put it up in the air. God has given you faith and he wants to prove it. That's the idea here, that he's going to prove the faith of the Apostle Paul. And so this grace teaches us there's multiple blessings in serving the Lord. And these multiple blessings, notice here, are included. My grace is sufficient for thee. You know, I like that word sufficient because it conveys the idea of being satisfied. You know, being satisfied. That's not something we hear about too often nowadays. We're never satisfied. We always want more. Never satisfied. Grace gives you a satisfaction. It answers the prayer. Amy Carmichael, I remember, she prayed as a little girl. She wanted blue eyes. You know, she was born with brown eyes. And here she's a, you know, Irish, you know, light-skinned young lady up there in Belfast. Everybody's got blue eyes, but she's got dark brown eyes. Lord, give me some blue eyes. But little did she know at that time when she prayed earnestly for blue eyes that God would use her for the portion of her life in India, among India's Indians, the majority of who had brown eyes. She could identify with them. God used her in that way. We don't always know the rhyme or reason why God does things in our lives. It's got a good purpose, though. And He's much wiser than we are. We owe it all to God. We recognize His omniscience, that He knows the end from the beginning. He knows ultimately where we will be. What's best for us because it it gives him the glory. And so I mentioned this fact of uh, this this idea of being sufficient that it's satisfying. And it recalls my mind back to the time in which the Lord fed 5000. You know, and there was a lot of folks and the scriptures and the gospel accounts refer to 5000 or 4000 or 7000 one place men. And some people automatically include that, well, you know, if you gather the women and the men and the children all together, it was a lot more. I don't know. I think it just maybe is speaking generally for all people in attendance. But on one particular occasion, those 5,000 sat down in rows by 100s and 50s. And it just shows you that God is systematic in His purposes among His people. That things are to be done nicely or neatly and in order. Things that are honoring to him. So he has all the people set down. He wouldn't send them away hungry, and yet the disciples look to themselves, what am I going to do? You know, I got two loaves here, and that kid over there has got some fishes. What are we going to do? It's insufficient, they said, for the crowd. Well, what did the Lord do? He blessed it, and he gave out. And he gave out to the point where everybody, and in most of the cases in which you read these accounts, are filled. And you make note of the sufficiency of this miracle in providing food for the people. They were filled. They had all that they could and would have 
They were filled. And so I don't look at grace as like, you know, God is stingy. God just gives you exactly what you need and no more. No, He's abundantly pardoning. He's abundantly fruitful. He gives beyond measure. His grace knows no limit. It's like the smorgasbord of wonderful treats, divine love, divine compassion, divine grace that supersedes our wildest imaginations. God uh, blesses us with this abundance of grace and mercy and truth. I love, as we come to the end of this sermon, the conclusion of this message, the importance of grace. Notice what it says in the very last verse of this whole epistle. He said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. You see the tenderness of these blessings provided by the Lord God for their edification? In other words, God gives them blessings in spite of the infirmities of the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about somebody, he's setting somebody out in front of them. He wants them to see a picture here in this concluding verse of grace and of love and of communion. What's he showing? He's showing you a man who's been acquainted with sorrows, with grief, with infirmities, yet without sin. We make that point. He said in verse 4, he was crucified through weakness, and yet he liveth by the power of God. Notice what he says, for we also are weak in him, verse 4, but we shall live with him. By what? By the power of God toward you. So I see this as the great underlying purpose and reason of why God sends thorns in your life so that you can be better equipped to handle problems in other people's lives. You know, it's only right that we see Christ crucified bearing the thorns imprinted upon his forehead, not for himself, but for others. What he experienced blesses us today. The power of a life weak in ourselves is for the purpose to bless others who themselves suffer in this world. That we can share with them the grace and the love and the communion. You know, no matter what you go through, you have grace from God that enables you, equips you, that bears you up and gives you the strength. He speaks about no temptation having taken you, but that which is common to man, whereby he makes a way of escape. And then he names the way of escape. Because we're always looking for it, aren't we? He says that you may be able to bear up those burdens. That's what grace does. It doesn't remove you from the problem. But in your situation, it makes you better to handle your problem. It gives you the grace to bear up under the pressure. No man has ever suffered beyond that which God enables him to endure it, you see. God is wise. He knows what you can handle. Give some more than others, there's no doubt. He puts his pressure point on you, maybe more than others. And for a good reason. Notice what he says. He says, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness. There he is. There's that intense emotional sharpness of the Apostle Paul according to the power which the Lord hath given me to what? Edification and not to destruction. So all this is for the building up you know, sometimes we gloss, we gloss over 
the people in our church who have enormous problems in their past. We kind of have a, you know, a 10-foot approach to them, a way. You know, we don't come up close to them because we're afraid it might wear off on us whatever trouble they had. And yet God placed them in the church for that particular purpose, that they may be a benefit to you when you get overwhelmed in your situation, that they can say to you, you know, I've been there. And the Lord's provided for me. And I can testify to the grace of God that has brought me through it. So in some sense, I think the petals here on the floor this morning that we cleaned up, reminiscent of a beautiful wedding, it's only appropriate that we share with our younger people that when they look at life as a bed of roses, be very careful. Because underneath those flower petals, there's thorns. Be mindful of that. Live life to the fullest, but be mindful. Live it at a distance. Have a spiritual awareness of what's going on. See God's perspective in everything that you do. Teach, guide, direct, edify, build up. And may you have the GLC. I call it the GLC. You've heard of the TLC, haven't you? Tender, loving care. I'm going to give you a little bit of GLC this morning. Grace, love, and communion. May the Lord bless you today. You've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.